Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Rachel, what's going on? Not much, Chris. I have um, a story I'm going to share today. Wait, wait. I want to play a quick game before you tell me this story. All right, let's play games. Okay. So here's the game that I want to play. I'm going to give you some quotes, and you tell me if you know who said these quotes, okay? The quotes are all from the same person. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right, here we go. The first one is, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Do you know who said that? No, I'm really bad at games like this. <laughs> give, me, give me another one. Yeah, I'll give you some more and see if, you're, see if it um, resonates. Okay. Return to your friends and tell them that we came here with no peaceful intent, but ready for battle and determined to avenge our own wrongs and set our country free. Let your masters come and attack us. We are ready to meet them beard to beard. No? Any, anything? Not landing for me. <laughs> like, is this like something from... The Revolutionary War? <laughs> no, but the actor in this movie that these are from has played in a Revolutionary War movie. Ooh. So that'll give you a hint as you're, as you're guessing along, playing along at home. Here's another one. I cannot be a traitor since I never swore fealty to the English king. Oh, interesting. Um, wait, um, is this an actor? This is, these are quotes from a movie that an actor says, but th th these are also from, he, the person is playing someone from history. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't I'm know. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more. All right. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe two more. Okay, here's this one. There's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. I'm just like, I feel like I'm thinking about like Mel Gibson and the Patriot, <laughs> but I don't oh, know. You are so close. It is not Mel Gibson and the Patriot. They can never take away our freedom. It's not the Patriot. It's Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart. Yes. And the reason uh, that I wanted to spend a minute coming up and playing that game is that he plays this character named William Wallace. William Wallace. That leads in. I was like, where are we going with this? <laughs> Chris, you're always like throwing curveballs at me and I'm always dropping them and <laughs> picking them back up. <laughs> yes. Okay. This leads perfectly into my story. So thank you, Chris, for that fun introduction. I'm actually going to share a story with a gentleman named Bill Wallace, who is a Patreon member and also part of my email list. Chris, he's also been to some of our trainings and he shared with me um, in an email some ideas and I thought they were so good. Um, so I'm going to give a little of a backstory. Basically, I had sent an email to my email list talking about different ways that you can get kids using core words. Um, and one of the things that I was saying was this idea of no, because kids are oftentimes motivated by saying no, they don't want to do something. Um, you can make a fun, like playful game out of it. Um, you know, you can sabotage kids and get them to say no. So there's lots of different strategies there. And so anyway, I sent this email, just giving some of my email list some ideas and Bill shared some really great insight into this. Um, so I'm gonna read a little bit of the email and kind of talk through it with you, Chris, because I think it's really interesting. Um, so he says, one variation or extension on your no um, activity I've used is what I call sabotage series. 
This bit involves me pulling items one by one out of a bag or a box and offering to the client. The bag or box though contains both desirable and needed items as well as absurd uh, or disliked foil items. I can control what type comes out each time. So for example, if a client is saying stacking, say stacking blocks or making a puzzle or sending Hot Wheel cars through a launcher, I'll pull out a few relevant items out in a row each time waiting for a client to signal approval or acceptance by saying yes, of course modeling if, if required, and then pulling out a foil item to set up an opportunity and motivation for rejection and no. And um, there's a little bit more to this email, but I wanna stop and kind of talk about this. What I love about this is that it's natural. And I think sometimes when we're contriving situations for language and communication opportunities, um, it feels very forced. And what I like about this is it's just naturally occurring, right? You're doing a puzzle, puzzle piece in, puzzle piece in, like, no, I don't need this pencil. I need a puzzle piece, right? So like, no, I don't want the, the pencil. I want the puzzle piece. Um, and so I just thought this was a really great idea and a simple approach um, that I just hadn't thought of. I was like, you're right. Like this bag, it creates anticipation, right? Like we're pulling things out. We also can model the word out. Um, and I just thought it was a really practical way to teach like how to say like, no, this isn't the thing that I wanted. Um, we're kind of setting up that ex expected routine, right? Puzzle piece, puzzle piece, puzzle piece, pencil. Right. Um, so anyway, I love that. That is so fun. What a fun way. And like you said, that's so natural and um, and goofy, you know, and you can control how many success, success, success barrier overcome that barrier, get a success, and then more successes in a row. And I just find that really um, well thought out. Well done, William Wallace. <laughs> I also want to read a little bit more. He says, if the client accepts or single signals yes to the foil, I'll give a puzzled look and let them take it and see what they do with it. If they actually try to use it, example, put a baseball into the Hot Wheel launcher and it won't fit, I'll model something like no, um, plus use AAC or gestures and add something like it's too big and offer a correct item and so on. Which I just thought again is like, we're just taking, we're really following a child's lead here and in a way that I really um, appreciate because again, it's kind of like how we attribute meaning to the words that kids say on devices. You know, there's cause and effect with like trying to, you know, put a pencil into a puzzle, right? Um, and kids have to go through that exploratory, you know, piece and that problem solving to figure out like, no, this isn't what I actually wanted. Um, and so I just thought that was such a clever idea um, and way to target um, and sabotage this. What does he call it? A, a sabotage series. <laughs> Sabotage is one of my favorite strategies of all time, and it is really um, one of the reasons, um, it's one of the things I miss most about being with students doing actual work as a speech-language pathologist in a direct, structured uh, setting is because I could be the, um, the I always call it like the, the wacky Uncle Chris, do you know what I mean? Like the, the wacky uncle that could come in and set up these kind of fun experiences for the student that do fit naturally. Like, so for instance, in Bill's example there, or your example of the puzzle, you know, taking that, something that happens all the time with puzzles is that you lose a puzzle 
puzzle piece. So we could just intentionally set that up. Like as we're putting this puzzle piece in here, I'm just going to snag this one and I'm going to sit on it or I'm going to put it under my chair and I'm going to take this other one and I'm going to just flip that one on the floor, you know, because they oftentimes and you're making a puzzle, they do fall on the floor. So now it causes this moment of like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Where is this thing? And that generates some communication. It generates a language opportunity to say, where is it? Not there. Nope. Is it under the chair? Nope. Is it behind my back? Nope. Is it on my head? Nope. Oh, it's on the floor. There it is. You know, that sort of thing. I'm curious, Chris, because so I, I was, I forget what I was doing. I was either reading something on Facebook or I don't know where this came from, but uh, I was reading something from someone saying that like they don't really believe in contriving situations. Um, they just follow a child's lead. And I kind of like had some pushback for that because at least what I've learned in my practice is that if we just solely follow a child's lead and we don't ever kind of try to figure out situations where we can use these strategies like sabotage and all these things, then I just don't think we get enough repetitive practice that we need in order to really generalize these words that we're learning. Um, and so I'm just curious what your thoughts are because I, I think it's a balancing act, right? Like we can't just like, we, I don't want to contrive situations that would never actually happen in a child's life just to get them to say a specific word. But I do think it's valuable to really, you know, think of situations that would mimic real world problems and circumstances, like how often do we actually lose a puzzle piece um, in order to teach kids how to communicate what they need, to advocate for what they need, and to just, again, get that repetitive practice because we just need so many opportunities with this specific word, for example, to learn it and to use it. Um, and so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. My thoughts are that you have to contrive certain situations depending on the skill and the word that you are uh, the targets of what you're trying to teach. So, for instance, if you were going for like a social emotional and you're teaching like how to handle a situation, well... And what you might say in these situations, you might need to practice in a contrived setting so that when it becomes generalized to a real world setting, you know what to do. In the very much same way, when we do professional learning, we we practice outside of the setting and then you go and you practice in the setting with the student. But you had some moments to practice in a contrived setting. But I bet what that person was getting at online, you know, that you referenced, it's like I, I just always follow the child's lead, is that I bet that person's experiences, they see so much much contrived, right? It is uh, they're, they're, like in an autism program, maybe you go in there and it's like everything is structured to a T. So I'm going to go complete 180 and say, I never do that. And anytime you're at any polar opposite like that, it's probably the, the sweet spot. The, the right move is probably some sort of sweet spot in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, you don't have to do all contrived and you don't have to do all completely follow the child's lead. There's going to be some sort of experience in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I think anytime we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum, it's probably like we need to take a, a few steps to, towards the middle. But it was interesting to think about. And at, for a second, I was like, oh no, like, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I contriving too much? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I don't think so because my kids need opportunities to practice and it's not like they're not motivated. It's not like they're not useful situations that we're thinking through, right? I just think it gives more opportunities for practicing and we need a lot more opportunities. 
And it's just like, it kind of goes along with this idea of balancing all of the aided language input that we're giving kids, but then also getting really strategic about the vocabulary that we're choosing to really hone in on and target specifically. Um, like I want parents and teachers and communication partners to model all the different words in all the different situations, just so we're giving all that rich language input. But we also need to have like on the other side, like a strategic plan to really practice those words and get them generalizing so that kids have, you know, autonomy and the ability to create independent, you know, words and phrases and, you know, useful things for their life that they want to communicate. So I think it's kind of just the same balancing act is like we need to kind of do both um, and be cognizant of both so that we're able to see gains. Mm -hmm. I think of an example, like a practical example would be, you know, let's say I'm walking down the hall with a student and I drop my clipboard and then I pick it up and then I drop it again and then I pick it up and I drop it again. Well, why am I doing that? Because... Well, there might be some language target, target like the phrasal verb, pick it up, you know, um, or do you need help? Or, oh, I'm sorry, you know, like uh, to maybe teach some sort of empathy that that's what you do, because maybe I'm picturing myself in an elementary school with a student standing next to me, right? Because in middle school, when someone drops their book, they would have seen, you know, a friend of theirs, they're walking side by side with a friend, they drop their book. Now they know what to say. They know what those words are. They've been in that, that contrived setting to practice the words and to know the empathy that we're trying to practice there. So I, as the adult, contrived it for a very authentic purpose of and very an authentic um, situation that's going to come up later is that someone's going to drop something in front of you someplace. What what do you do? How do you connect with somebody when that happens? What do you say in those situations? Exactly. I think that's what teaching is, right? It's like all like thought out and in some ways contrived you know, opportunities to problem solve and, you know, think through how we're going to address specific things and how we're going to learn how to address those specific things, depending on what we're working on. So awesome, awesome, awesome banter topic this week. Thanks, Bill, for all the great suggestions. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thanks, Chris, for the fun game that threw me for a loop in the beginning. What's our interview today, Chris? Uh, so this is uh, this is a great interview. So do you remember you sent me a text, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and you were like, hey, Chris, this person has, um, is talking about us on her podcast. And I wrote you back. I said, oh, I know this podcast. So this is Kimberly Albrecht, and she is a parent. This is a parent interview, but she also has a podcast. The way she structures her podcast is that she does 12 episodes on one specific topic. So she might interview different people about... This topic, and she is a parent with a student that has a communication device. And in this particular topic, it is all about literacy. And so she had contacted me as one of the people to interview in her 12, 12 episode series. So her and I, this is kind of an exchange. Um, I went on the Loma podcast, and we talk all about you know the podcast here in the interview coming up. And then she, I said, Well, let's let how about you come on our podcast and give us a, a parent perspective of how things are and your history and what you think about AAC. And so that is the interview you're about to hear. You're about to hear my interview with Kimberly Albrecht.
Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet. I'm here today with Kim Albrecht. Kim, am I saying your last name right? Albrecht, yes. And unless you want to add some flair, then it can be like Albrecht. If you want to get like really German, German I, with it. I will try. <laughs> <laughs> so so what we're doing here today is a little bit of an exchange of, um, we're doing like a, a podcast swap, would you say? Kim, is that fair? I mean, I came on the Loma podcast, which you're the host of, and now you're coming on the Talking With Tech podcast. Uh, does that sound fair? Yes, that sounds fair. Although I, I must admit, I do not feel worthy <laughs> to be, I must feel like I need to do a disclaimer for all of your listeners ahead of time. Like the quality of guests that you have on this show blow me away. In fact, in our current series that you are a part of, in the intro section, I tell all our listeners, like supplementary, supplementary material is to listen to the Talking With Tech podcast as we go through our current literacy series. So, so it's yeah. funny you say that because Rachel, the co-host of this podcast, she sent me a text. She's like, hey, we were we were mentioned on this podcast and she sent it to me. And I because someone sent it to her, you know, one of your listeners, the the, the Venn diagram of listeners overlapped yeah. and, they, and <laughs> right. they they contacted Rachel. And so Rachel sent it to me and I was like, oh, yeah, I know she's coming on our podcast, too. I'm one of the people <laughs> she interviewed. So I listened to that episode. Thank you for you know because you uh, the episode that you're referring to is not the one that we recorded, but you're kind of your launch into this series. So mm-hmm. well, well, since, since we're there, why don't we talk about that real quick? Can you tell the listeners of the Talking With Tech podcast about this series and um, you know what you've got in store over there? Yeah. So over at the Loma podcast, what we do on the show is we deep dive into an issue for 12 episodes. And our current series is focusing on the importance of literacy instruction, specifically for students with significant disabilities and how it can be done. So that is our current 12 episode series that we're running over there. Now at the time of this publication, which is spring 2021, and Chris is going to be participating in that series. And in the introductory um, episode, I offer the listeners um, some ideas of ways to maximize what they're going to learn in the series. And one of the things that I recommended listeners do is to listen to the Talking With Tech podcast since AAC um, is tied in so tightly with, it's like, it's hard to untangle that web of communication and literacy. And um, so I I think this podcast is, is a perfect um, in between episodes. (laughs) Listen, they can binge listen over here as well. I, I couldn't agree more. I I totally loved that introduction episode and I was totally hooked. And I had um, a little bit of behind the scenes being one of the people that you interviewed because you had kind of showed me who else was coming. So it was like, awesome. It's going to be, it's an awesome series. So I cannot wait. I'm, I'm in, I'm subscribed. I'm, uh, I'm going to listen to all of them. So oh, let, great. 
Let's rewind for a second, though. So let's talk about who you are and what you do. And then we'll eventually we'll get to how you got to the to producing the podcast. Yeah, well, what I do, what I did today was scrambled around to try to find a quiet corner in the house. So what do I do? That's what I did today. Try to find a quiet corner in crazy COVID time house. Um, but beyond that, I would say I am a southerner who was transported to the West Coast via the Midwest. Um, so have kind of lived all over the place. Um, I'm in my 40s, but I think I would do well in a nursing home because I like to knit and recently discovered Sudoku and um, am very obsessed. So I, I think even though I'm in my 40s, I, I would do well in in um, a nursing home setting. And that is probably all irrelevant to what your listeners want to know. What you guys, listeners, probably want to know is why I'm here on the show. I am the mother of two teenage girls and the oldest is 17 and the gateway into the world of disabilities. She has level three autism, um, is a non-speaking AAC user, um, got her first device over 10 years ago before the invention of the iPad. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we love to feature parents on this podcast and get those perspectives. We feel like um, this is a way parents can connect with each other. And often those stories resonate more with each other than hearing it from a professional or, um, you know, someone who who's not in the same world that you're living in. So uh, let's talk about your daughter for a second. Can let's, Where does she land with AAC? What is she currently using? She uses touch chat word power 80. Uh-huh. Okay. So it, funny story about um, pretty much any of the products like the Saltillo and PRC products, I actually suggest um, Sudoku, Sudoku as an analogy, like people want to go in and, and kind of make all sorts of customizations and stuff, which I, of course you, you want to do, but it kind of out of the box, if you don't really understand how it's designed and you don't really know what you're doing, people might want to change things up. And I'd be like, think of it like a Sudoku puzzle or a Sudo Sudoku puzzle. You don't ever get stuck and go, oh, they must've printed it wrong. Like these people are experts in what they do. They mm. mastered where things should be. Don't, don't keep things where you are, add stuff to it, but don't go around and change things thinking you know it better. Right? And no one ever says when they're doing a Sudoku puzzle, you don't go, man, those idiots, they must've printed it wrong, you know? No, mm. they, they printed it right. It's us who haven't figured it out yet, you know? So same mm. thing with, with, with those particular systems. So all that right, is so such a, I love that because I'm thinking even of um, how we made that mistake, um, you know, over the 10 years, there was like a period of time where we kept making some changes and customizing and doing all this stuff. And it ended up being a little bit of a jumbled mess to the point where our SLP was like, scrap the whole thing and start over again. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because that has been a part of something that we've experienced in over a decade of AAC use. Well, so this is an excellent segue to the next question, which is you, 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 let's talk about this arc of your journey over the last 10 years. Like, how did it start? What kind of stages did you go through? And then can, where are you now? Yeah, well, I think um, I was never a hard sell with the idea of using augmentative communication. I, I think maybe some families have that initial period of resistance um, because of maybe hearing some misinformation about um, 
why use AAC? And so we were never in that camp of having to go through the stage of being convinced by the SLP that this is a really, really good idea. Um, when Miranda was in preschool and the elementary years, this was before iPads were invented. Like she, this was I mean, early 2000s. So the iPad was not really a thing. And at that time, um, they were using things like sign language and PECs for her communication and um, also continued some attempts at speech. And it was around first grade, maybe kindergarten, when she got her first device. And it was this big, huge, like clunky thing. And I hate to admit that we... Um, my husband and I, we weren't like great supporters at home because we we found this device to be kind of like cumbersome. And she still had like some signs, you know, from those early years, the pecs and the signs. And we we were one of those clients at that time that had to be like nudged to just turn the thing on and use it at home. Mm -hmm. um, I And in hindsight, I'm like, oh gosh, we lost some really valuable years as a result of that, of her just not having her device um, with her in the home and us using it. And so if I could rewind, I, I would um, do that differently. And it was when she got the iPad that we started to do better with it. Um, I think because we were more comfortable with the device and, but we really did not get like fully immersed into her AAC device until her sister came around. Um, I was going to say, well, how, what changed it for you? That's the question was running through my mind. You're telling that story is like, so how did things change? <laughs> it was sister slash same age peers that turned it around for us because they had, they're from the digital age. <laughs> you know, I, I'm from, I, I didn't grow up with all this digital stuff. Um, so her sister was always very comfortable in this device and would go in there and talk to her, would model and talk to her on the device. And it was her sister that would bring up to me. Like she started speaking AAC to Miranda. She started speaking Miranda's language. And so did the neighbors. Our house is a little bit of a Grand Central Station, lots of kids coming and going. And these kids were so incredibly comfortable in this device. And they were talking to her mm -hmm. on it. They were talking her language. They were talking AAC to an AAC speaker. And um, they would also bring up interesting things that it was like, oh, of course, like nobody says that anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like some slang that a 40 year old woman would say that a teenager wouldn't say, you yeah, know, like they're like groovy they're, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we, we probably have like some, you know, in the social page and like Kendall would say stuff like mom, no teenager says this stuff. Right. And so we, you know, it's like, you're right. And then we realized that even like some of the music choices we had in there were like, She's like, no, she wants Bruno Mars in there. She wants, and so it was really the peers and her sister that introduced us to like, oh, 
yeah, Miranda really takes to this when we speak her language. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then what came next? I mean, so what was like at that time? You said it was this big clunky device. It was before the iPad, and then did the technology change? Um, she always started with so she had the big clunky thing, and then as soon as the technology came to where there were apps on the iPad, she started with Touch Chat right away. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, and it was years, I mean, I hate to admit it, but I mean, we were talking like she started, what, early elementary school years um, with the iPad and the and touch chat, but it was when her sister was more like, you know, preteen, teenager. So that, that was a big hunk of time where she had it, but she just, she didn't have it with her all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and so so now so for several years now she's been using Touch Chat on an iPad as her primary AAC tool. Would that would that be fair to say? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I I mean so she's seventeen now. So this has been I don't know how many years ago six years. You know six years of us like oh okay this is how Miranda speaks. So now we're like six years in to um, speaking AAC with her with her always having her device with her. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what she speaks now. I, I would say that how can she communicate on the device? She is definitely coming along. You know, it, it started, I, I think how most start where it's a lot of like requesting of things. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting when she started sharing um, experiences with us. Um, I remember the first time she did that, we were at the Redwood Forest and we were hiking. So we were going for a hike in the forest and she had her device with her and years past, we probably would not have had her have her device with her. Um, so, you know, as parents, we're finally catching up to providing her what she needs. And, but she did, she had, she was, we were walking through the forest with her device and she, um, she went on there and said, yellow leaf fall. And it was just like such this beautiful moment because I was like, she wants to share the experience with me of the the golden leaves falling awesome. to the ground in the fall. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally changing in speech circles. We call it the pragmatic function. And we you, what you just said is we see it all the time. And there's so many of us that harp on not getting stuck at requesting. Um, and that what she just did is comment, you know, just made a comment because it was in her mind and expressed it to you. And that's like such a powerful thing. She wasn't labeling the the leaf that she saw, right? She was commenting on how kind of beautiful it was, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. Uh, so, okay. So um, let's talk about uh, you the experiences that... Um, some of the challenges and barriers that you face when it comes to modeling? Because it sounds like now that your family is using the device to model, to to show where words are and what they mean. Um, so what are some of the ch- challenges and barriers, maybe not just to modeling, but just in general, I mean, yeah. it, that, that you face and how you've overcome them? Or maybe if you haven't overcome them, how you're working on it, you know, to overcome them. Yeah, I haven't overcome them, which is why I listen to the Talking With Tech podcast. So um <laughs> So maybe I'll give you some ideas for content on future shows as well. Um, You know, I think right now, one of the biggest barriers that we're facing, honestly, is finding an SLP that is, and I know you have a lot of SLPs that listen to the show, um, finding an SLP that is like 
deeply trained in AAC. And by, by deeply, I mean like helping us move beyond communicating right there on the device, but rather doing things like integrating the device into social media or syncing the device to easily send text messages or using the device, the voice on the device to initiate Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now I find that a lot of, the, it's just never brought up or introduced as an idea. And as I'm sitting here thinking about Miranda moving into her adult life, um, I'm like, well, part of communication is being able to get your message to the person who needs it. And that person may not always be sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just never come up. And I feel like whenever we tried to bring it up, there's really, they're like, oh, I don't know. Does touch chat do that? I don't. So I feel like that's kind of been a bit of a like, ah, oh, like I feel like I can't find anybody who can like take charge of this next phase mm-hmm. in her communication. Um, so I, I think that, and then a common one that we've just had through the years that I'm sure SLPs can relate to and parents can relate to, and that's just getting um, consistency across the entire team and across all settings. Um, that's just, you know, just the through line has always been, I mean, even, even my husband and I consistently using it like the SLP, that that was the the problem was us um, consistently using it, using it across settings. So I I think we see that a lot. Um, So I, yeah, Mm -hmm. you bring up the second barrier there. Let's talk about each one of those, but I think the second barrier there is uh, something that we see with every parent everywhere when it comes to really any student with a disability, especially one that uses communication device. Um, let, let me ask you this. In the span of time in school, how many different speech therapists do you think you've worked with? Oh, I mean, there was one year we had three in one year. Three in one year. <laughs> yeah, I, it, yeah, it's been incredibly inconsistent and not to their... I mean, not to anybody's fault, these SLPs have caseloads of 60 people and, right. you know, and there's maybe more. And I, I don't know, it, I, I'm not sure what the fix is for that, but um, yeah, to answer your question, a lot. I, I can't even count. I mean, Chris, I can't even count. Yeah. I, I, and that's just the I can't therapists. Count. What about all the teachers, right? right? And all the support oh. staff that you, that, you know, a teaching assistants and the, the list goes on. Hundreds. And- mm-hmm. A lot, let me ask, like when your daughter's um, attending school, either distance learning or in person, can I ask, is she in person or distance or how does it work? We are, well, that's an interesting question. Um, In fact, on our podcast, there's been a couple of episodes just on our, we're in the middle of a very interesting educational journey right now. Um, She will be starting at a new school, um, an NPS in the fall. Um, so right now she has been home with us, homeschooled since February, like around February, 2019. Um, so two years here at home, um, which have been incredibly great for her because there is that consistency, but she'll start back into a school setting in the fall COVID willing, <laughs> life willing. Yeah. So that kind of 
leads me to the point that I'm sort of making is that you are the consistent force. And so should our mm -hmm. intervention be more with your daughter or more with you and mm -hmm. the family and the support network that's going to be more consistent? Because then the next speech therapist, the next teacher, their skills when it comes to AAC, sort of what you're referring to with that first barrier is um, might be all over the map, you know, mm -hmm. and you might even have people that are that, um, that are aware of what to do, but are not practiced on how to do it. Do you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll yeah. take those people over who don't know anything. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah. so, so let me ask you this. Um, do you know if you have access to any personnel that specifically work in assistive technology? Um, because I feel like the, the answer to your problem with the the, the 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 besides linguistically like um can you like you said mentioned text messages and reaching out to amazon and maybe controlling the environment with the with the device and communicating beyond just a one-to-one -one in a in a setting um someone who's skilled in that an assistive technology person might might not know but they might be the person that has the that would take that sort of challenge on and say, mm -hmm. let me see if I can figure that out. You know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, but I'll learn, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that in the new school. Um, mm -hmm. But that's interesting. You know, I'm thinking of IEP meetings and parents and I, most public schools do have AT staff there, and, but I don't think I've ever seen an assistive technology person at an IEP meeting. Yeah. Um, well, typically we like to, um, maybe not attend the IEP meeting so much as be a support <laughs> to the whole IEP team. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because if we go to an IEP meeting, we often solve one problem for one person, but if we teach the teacher how to solve that problem, now, mm -hmm. now they, they can do that exponentially and they have this confidence that they can go in for other, other, because there are quite few of us, do you know what I mean? And so if you think mm -hmm. of all the IEP meetings that happen all over, you know, we try and keep it, minimal and build capacity in the in the team yeah. around them so really i mean ultimately we'd want you to know that skill because again you'll be the one yeah. that's with your daughter the most um to 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 address that the the mm -hmm. third option that i had when thinking about that is going to the saltillo rep directly and saying hey other people use this app like how do they control this do you know what i mean those sorts of mm. um as a, as a as a potential yeah I'm thinking too, the AT person, we were talking about how Miranda's sister was the one who got on there. And I feel like maybe she she should be like our AT person in this house. Kendall, figure out how to send text messages with this thing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Good point about, um, because yeah, that's that's probably, that's the solution is teaching the team, teaching um, teaching it across the board. I, and I think even like planting the seed, like planting the seed that um, that this is a good idea. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just about, but like communication is like getting your message to to the person. And there's a lot of tech involved in that. Um, well, hmm. can I tell you yeah, the other idea that you just sort of mentioned and that is a struggle that a lot of think people have right now is especially with distance learning is like ah, kids are turning their camera off and they're not really engaged in the education that they're well because they're not pro solving any problems it's like a teacher talking to them and what you just kind of described was okay here's a problem here's a real person that has a real problem kids 
help solve it. Do you know what I mean? If we mm-hmm. could pose, and you mentioned like peers or her sister, that we could say, how can we get this device to do that and do it in a way that your sister finds it easy and not cumbersome and it's not a struggle um, and, and enjoys it. I mean, that's a, that's a worthwhile challenge for anyone to take on, you know, and mm-hmm. meaningful, meaningful outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and invest it, you know, and then I think too, those are the people also, you, you mentioned the importance of the consistent people being the ones that are trained. Um, her sister is going to be one of those consistent, at least I hope, I guess she's probably going to jog off like 5,000 miles away by the time she graduates. Like I'm, I'm out of here, but you know, like hopefully she's a consistent piece. Um, yeah. Interesting. I'm going to do that. Chris, I'm going to do that. I'll let you know what happens. I'm going to put her sister on this task of how to, we'll, we'll, we'll send you a, an email or a text message from her touch chat. Um, I love it. <laughs> before love it. this publishes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about some triumphs here. We talked about the barriers. What are some, like when you look back over the 10 years, what are you like? Yes. You need to pump your fist and you're super happy about. Yeah. Um, I, what we've already mentioned, and that was that I feel that our family is now bilingual. We, we speak English and we speak AAC. Um, so I, I feel learning that language um, has been a triumph. And it was just as easy as getting in there and doing it. You know, we just, the way that you learn a language is to start speaking the language and be immersed in the language. Um, so I would, I would count that as a win. Um, I think it, Another triumph that we had is relaxing the ways, and this may be like a mindset, like relaxing the ways that we felt our daughter needed to be talking on her device and just letting her talk. Um, Like, for example, and I know this is something that I hear a lot of parents um, question and maybe are concerned about is what seems like their child's stimming on the device. Um, And so we used to like kind of jump in there and redirect. um, And we started, when we started to like, and she may have been stimming, maybe. um, But when we started to just like relax about that and think of it as like babbling, you know, that's part of language development is you babble. Mm-hmm. So we just stopped thinking of it as a device talking and thought of it as, again, this is Miranda's language. This is her voice. She's just babbling with her voice. Let her babble. Um, and what we used to do is we used to like take the device away if she was doing that. Um, especially if we were like watching TV, you know, I I think this is kind of a good example. And maybe another example too, of similar to the yellow leaf falling off the tree. Um, we used to like take it away, but now what we do is treat it how we would treat any child who's talking too much while we're trying to watch TV. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like we don't put tape over their mouth. Right. Right. You, what, so and, what do you do? Do you take the, do you go over to the device and say something like? Well, we, we, be, her receptive language is quite strong. We believe 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we just go over it. We're like, Miranda, we are trying to watch TV. Mm-hmm. Like, wait until the commercial. We're, we're watching TV here. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can't talk that much. If you, if you feel like you want to keep talking, you need to go do it in another room. And so we give her the option, like, talk all you want, but don't do it here while we're all trying to watch TV, girl. You know, it's <sighs> the same that we would anybody else. And so what's been, like, interesting about that and what's been kind of cool in that process is, for now, she pretty much does a, a great job and she still has her device with her. Whereas before, you know, we would have like taken it away. And she's just recently within the last month or two, she has started making appropriate comments as we're watching TV. So she always wants her device right there. She always wants it on. Like the screen has to be on, but she she's not babbling on it now while we watch TV, but she'll like, we will watch American Idol. And she'll say like the girl sing or some, the other day she commented on something that one of the contestants was wearing. And we were like, Oh, you know, it's so exciting when that happens. And it was just, again, to the leaf falling on the tree. It's just because she had it with her and was learning like appropriate times to, to talk. I, so applaud everything that you're saying. What you're saying is um, you treated her like any other teenager, you know, uh, any other student, any other person that was, if they're doing something that's annoying to you, you just say, please don't do that. It's hurting my feelings. I don't like it, you know? And and as opposed to um, what so often happens when you were talking about stimming is this this immediate need to abate. Like I need to stop that mm-hmm. action, so I'm going to take it away. But that's not what we do with other kids. Take any other student. They take your other daughter, for instance. Or I mean, I have my own kids. If I tell them not to do it, I guarantee you they will <laughs> do it more. You know. But if I'm like, guys, this is hurting my feelings. I really, or I'm really having I'm trying to watch this and I can't hear it. They go, oh, sorry, Dad. You know, like mm-hmm. they, it's just um, much more natural and respectful, I find. Yeah. Well, and I've heard too, um, this is kind of an OT thing, maybe your OTs that listen, um, that a lot of um, people with autism have, it, it's like interiorcept, I, I don't know what the word is, interoception or something, but it's like um, struggling to, it's like an awareness of self, like mm-hmm. a lack of awareness of like that they're being loud or um, so it, it may be as, as simple as, you know, I just don't realize it. I mean, most teens don't realize it, right? Like we have to tell them like, Hey, you're being, you're being loud, like tone it down about three notches. But then you add maybe a p- potential like sensory thing that keeps you from even being aware of things like that. And, you know, it, I, yeah, I think it's just a matter of like teaching what's appropriate and what's not. And, and offering that option, like if, and we tell Miranda, like, if you want to keep talking, you can, but you just can't do it here because we're trying to watch TV. Like, go to your room and do it. And she does sometimes. She'll go back there and she'll push like water, 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 whatever. Right. You know, and for, she was doing. and I, I, so let's, there's so many points you're bringing up. So in that moment where she's hitting water, 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 I often think um, of those sort of stimming behaviors, even if she's not really requesting water. It's just maybe soothing right now to hit this mm-hmm. word water. That would be similar to me who doesn't have autism. Well, I used to have long hair and I would twirl my hair and it would just made me feel better. Maybe I, you know, we all have our little 
things that we do that comfort us um, mm-hmm. in some way. And and if you just stop the podcast and think about it, you'd be like, yeah, right. I do this thing when I'm driving or I, I bite my lip all the time or whatever the thing is. And imagine someone always telling you that that was wrong and you had to stop that, you know? Right. So I, right. I love, uh, so I try and think of it in those terms. And then the, the, mm-hmm. the, the thing you're talking about, about raising awareness of your own self and what you're doing, that is so true. Um, where I first learned of that, um, that notion with students with visual impairments, actually students who are completely oh. blind, when they're completely blind, they might be making movements with their hands and not realizing that those movements, other people can see them, you know, that other, that, that might be distracting to somebody else. And so, the teachers of the visually impaired will teach them explicitly, hey, your hands up, you know, you could be aware other people can see you. And you'd use that. And it's the same notion here is that your actions are being perceived by, by other people and you have, you, you make a difference in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. You make a difference. Oh, I, yeah, I, that's a neat way to word it, Chris. I like that. All right. So let's talk about the podcast then. So, so you, at some point, move from being parent only to parent who produces a podcast. So how did the Loma (laughs) podcast come to be and what's its mission and what have you done so far and where would you like it to go? Tell us all your hopes and dreams. (laughs) All my hopes and dreams. Well, my hope for today is to, um, I I don't know, (laughs) to like find a place in the house that is quiet. I I think we're doing okay so far. Um, My hopes and dreams. So the podcast, you know, Chris, I don't really know how it started. It was, I, I feel like it was one of those things that went from like zero to 100 um, in a matter of a month. Uh, it started several years ago. I think we're maybe four or five years in. Um, there weren't that many podcasts at the time. And my daughter was like 14, 15 around that time. And we were beginning to look into the future and just had so many questions about how to best prepare a life for her that is filled with purpose and dignity and choice and independence of her father and I. And with her having significant, pretty much around the clock support needs, um, there were just a lot of questions that went with that. Like, how are we going? And we realized that all parents are asking similar questions and are seeking the same kind of answers. And um, we on the podcast are incredibly fortunate to, um, we're known for really high caliber guests, which Chris is why you are in this next series. Um, And we take a single topic that is related to planning that future. And we deep dive into it for 12 episodes. We've done, like we mentioned, we're currently doing a communication series, um, or I'm sorry, a literacy series. And we have done, gosh, we've done so many series. We, We did a technology series. We've done a housing series. Um, we did transition planning, so um, transitioning out of school services into adult services. We had a whole series on that. Um, we have done a series on complicated behaviors, so even things like fecal smearing, um, co-occurring psychiatric conditions. So, yeah, we. I feel like we are a bit of a unicorn in the podcast world um, because we do dive so deep into these topics and the guests that we get are 
they're par none um, experts in the field. We do not have an episode if we cannot get the guest we want to do that episode. Mm-hmm. We just don't do it unless we can get who we want. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing over there. I love the format of a uh, twelve episodes. I mean that that's like a very doable thing for families. Like I, I sometimes I feel like a barrier of the talking with tech podcast is like, well, we've got a hundred episodes. Where do I start and how do I search it? And which is the right mm. place for me to go? And um, there's ways we can do that, but knowing that you have 12 up 12 episodes feels very doable. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a there's yeah. a start and there's an end and I can go look at another series of start to end. It's mm-hmm. like a it's like a series in a in a in a t- television show. I know it's going to take me this amount of time to get through it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's some real value there. So I think that was really wise of you to set it yeah. up that way. Well, and you know what it feels like to me too? It feels like going to a conference, um, you know, where you have your keynote speakers and your experts speaking on an episode, but it's a conference that you can attend for free and that you can do while you are going for a walk or folding the laundry or, or whatever, um, because we're bringing the same guests that you're going to get at some of these conferences um, right through your earbuds. And you can hit the 1.5 button or the two times button. You can listen to it. <laughs> that particular speaker is a little bit slow. <laughs> you know, you can do that. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. Awesome. So, okay. So let's talk about um, what's, um, where do you think the podcast is going next? Like you currently have the this this series. And at the time of this recording, I should say, you have that, that series going do you have future plans we usually run three series a year um this year i i'm gonna try to get in three we may just do two series because my my whole family's still home with me so it just there's a lot of research and work that goes into the front side of every single series most of the work is done before that first episode ever publishes so mm-hmm. it's just been a little bit challenging to try to find the time when i'm um, supporting my kids. So I will, I'm not usually, well, I'll answer your question. What are the next series going to be? Um, the series usually are around whatever my biggest questions are at the time. So right now, my biggest questions have since Miranda has been home with me and I've been homeschooling her and I realized, I think she should be able to read. Mm -hmm. Why can't she read? I think she can. And so that's what prompted the literacy series. Um, so usually every series is has its seed and something we are trying to figure out at the time. I know I want to revisit the housing series. We'll probably do an, another housing series next year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's like whatever is like itching me at the moment that we're trying to figure out is, Makes- is what we where we go. Makes sense. You are not alone, right? I mean, um, one of the takeaways from the pandemic is a reminder that we're all in this together. And if you're working to solve some sort of problem for your family or your daughter, there's a hundred percent chance there's other people out there that have the same um, challenges and want to learn. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for being, um, for putting the podcast together for so many families. Mm, It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So let me ask you another question here about AAC. And that is, a, so Rachel likes to phrase this a question in a certain way. Um, she says, if there was a billboard that people were driving by and you wanted them to, to read this billboard and take some sort of something away with, from AAC, 
what would that billboard be? Like, what would be something you wish everybody knew about AAC? Um, I think the big banner would probably say something like everybody has the right to communicate or everybody has the right to express themselves. Um, everybody has the right. It, AAC is so important to the user. It's so important to the, the user. They have the right for socially appropriate means of communication um, without inappropriate means. They're still going to communicate. But it may be through things like behavior that is not socially acceptable. Um, even behavior that may look like aggression or self-interest behavior. Um, and we don't want our kids to have to communicate that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that would be my big message is like they have the right to socially appropriate communication. Um, and then I, I think the other big thing is just the awareness that AAC is providing a lot of new opportunities for us um, who don't have disabilities to learn and to hear from non-speaking members of the disability community like we never have before in the past. And it's super important for us to um, take advantage of that, that they now can tell us um, what what things are like from their perspective. Um, so those are my two big things. Like everybody has the right to communicate in a socially appropriate way. And we are super lucky that we now live in a space where their voices can come out and we can hear what they're saying. Oh, that's so poignant. You know, I mean, it's one of the big, um, when I do presentations, one of the, and when Rachel and I do some together, we start off with, um, with that point that that so often we listen to other professionals, we know to read research, but there's a third component there to know what we're doing is effective. And that is listening to the people that have said, hey, this was effective, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And if they're not saying that, if you're not hearing that about a particular intervention, question marks should be popping up in your head, you know? And so it's so true. And like, we have more people than ever using AAC. So there's more opportunities to listen to those people if we'll only take the chance to listen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're so eager for us to hear them too. I have a couple that I've befriended on social media. And if I ever can't figure something out, I just message them. And I, within an hour, I usually get a dozen great ideas of things to try. Um, so take advantage of social media, take advantage of the disability community who is just like wanting so badly to, to help out. If you were, uh, you mentioned this a little bit, like if you could rewind the clock and you said something you as a family member, you would do differently. There are probably parents right now listening either to the Loma podcast or to this podcast, or maybe both that are just starting out, like their journey is just starting. And so what's some advice you would give to them? Like, okay, here's what you need to know. <laughs> Become bilingual <laughs> or trilingual. If you already learn the language, learn AAC, A learn AAC. Speak AAC, um, make it another language that is spoken regularly in your home. And when you were doing that, when you were learning that second language, you um, you were you did it flawlessly, right? I mean, never made a mistake. <laughs> uh, you were perfect every single day, <laughs> right? Is that is that the message you want? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about that too, Chris, is um, I think what it does also is so we 
quickly discovered like there is, it, it takes longer. It takes longer to speak AAC than it does to speak um, from our vocal cords. And um, it, it's taught me to respect AAC users and to allow the space and the time that is necessary for them to get their message across as well. So I think when we start speaking that language, um, we realize like, oh gosh, like there's some fumbling around in this. Even once you become fluent in it, there's still some fumbling around in it. And it, um, it just creates like an understanding of like, give everyone time to like let the AAC speaker process think about what they want to say and then figure out how to do it in this, this device. Now, I think I might know the answer to this kind of last question that I want to ask you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And that is, um, I like to kind of ask what people who are stakeholders in AAC, what's got you curious? Like, what would you want to learn more about? And my guess at your answer is literacy because you're doing a whole 12 episode podcast series on literacy. So is that it? Or is there something else that's kind of got you curious or wondering or, you know, uh, mm. about AAC? Well, I think what we already talked about, um, kind of integrating the technology into it, how to get the communication to be delivered to whoever they want the message to be delivered to. So I think the integration of it, um, is something that, which we talked about before. And then, yeah, the, the literacy piece, because Something interesting that I've learned in this series, talking to our expert guests, is that um, we're trying to like untangle, but can't untangle the web that is communication and literacy, and that we should be cautious about stopping at speech generating devices and icons and make sure that we are allowing access to a full keyboard so that um, the user is not limited to whatever is programmed in the device. It would be like you and I talking only through the emojis that Apple puts on our phones. Um, so I, I'm really interested in how to teach literacy as a component of communication. And I'm hoping that this series will enlighten, <laughs> enlighten me and my listeners how to do that. I know that you mentioned um, Karen Erickson and David Copenhaver's book, and that was going to be kind of a big part of the series. You mentioned that in the in the launch episode uh, of the series. Um, I wanted to tell you that just today, this very day, this morning, because we're recording in the afternoon, and at least in my neck of the woods, it's the afternoon. Um, uh, the the team that I work with has been doing a pod has been doing a book study, not a podcast study. We've been doing a book study on that study where we read one chapter and then we come back and we discuss it and we talk about how we can implement the the features of that chapter into um, our daily work. But then how we can make make it apply more systemically to our neck of the woods. And so. Um, I'm with you with that challenge of of literacy. I think there are so many people that listen to the Talking With Tech podcast that say that is their challenge as well. Like they want to take mm. that on and we want to not limit kids in any sort of way. And that means, like you said, access to the alphabet, access to a keyboard, access to spelling and access to literacy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, great that you're in. There are a lot of those um, book studies, I think, out there right now on that. And listeners, we're talking about Comprehensive Literacy for All is the name of the book. I, I'm not sure if um, we mentioned that or not. Uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of taking a um, taking root and taking hold. And it's really exciting, I think, to see this new movement and uh, and excitement around teaching literacy to students with disabilities and not just stopping at um, at icons, but the, the keyboard as well. Awesome. Any final thoughts here, Kim? Uh, just thank you to you and Rachel for this show. Um, just outstanding. As a parent, I, I know you um, you have listeners. You guys are so fantastic at what you do that you are bringing in therapists, you are bringing in teachers, you are bringing in parents. And there's just nothing like you out there that anytime a parent reaches out to me and they're like a new AAC user, I'm like talking with tech, you've got to like, if you're just starting, or even if you've been on the AAC journey for a while, like talking with tech is your show. So thank you for putting this out there. I think it's an overwhelming thing a lot of times for us parents and, um, and you and Rachel are just fun to listen to and have such great guests. So thank you for putting on the show and thank you for letting me like slide in here for an episode. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on and volunteering your time and your openness to you and your family and to the podcast and the series that you're doing. Um, I know that I'm going to be sharing that with educators. I'm going to be sharing that with family members um, to help spread the word about literacy for all and not just that series, but all the other series that you've done before. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And we so appreciate your time. Thanks so much.